0: Praise God. Praise God. Well, I have a specific assignment tonight, and I want to just lay a little bit of groundwork concerning this. Uh, I want to look at John 14 and a statement that Jesus made that that reflects our activity. John chapter 14. Hallelujah. He says in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Hallelujah. These works, the word is defined as acts or deeds. He says, the works that I do shall you do also. The same acts and deeds that I do shall you do also. And greater, greater works than these. And the word greater in the original language is more in quantity, more in quantity. Greater works than these shall you do. Why will you be doing more in quantity? Well, because I go unto my Father. He is in a position of authority as the head of the church and he has delegated the activity of these greater works to the church, to the people of God, to those who believe on Him. So it's not limited to five-fold ministry offices. It's not limited to those who uh, are in full-time ministry. For every believer, every believer is equipped to do the works of Jesus. Every believer is assigned to do the works of Jesus. Every believer has a part to play in the work of God. Go ahead and say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You, Lord. Hallelujah. But, you know, when I first came to the Lord, I had a lot of misconceptions. And I, I did not understand until I was taught because I thought Jesus did what he did because he was the Son of God, because he was Jesus. You know, I just put him in a category all by himself, and I said, well, you know, Jesus could do that because... He was the second person of the Godhead, and and he came down. But then as I began to be taught in the Word, I saw that the Bible says he did not come with omnipotence. He did not come with omnipresence. He did not come with omniscience. He stripped himself of those things, Philippians tells us, right? He stripped himself of all of those advantages of being God And he came in the form and the fashion of a man. Let's go ahead and look at it for just a moment. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, it says in verse 6, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now for a long time that that scripture kind of... um, took me aback because I I was not as clear in what it was trying to say. The Amplified helped me in that. Can I see the Amplified in verse 6? Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let's see how the Amplified brings that out for us. Because uh, we want to see the intent of Jesus, the motive of Jesus through this verse although being essentially one with God in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God, God. Can we talk about those? Did we just mention those? Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. He did possess those attributes that make God, God. But he could not legally come as a redeemer operating with omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence. He had to come in a body legally, like he said in John chapter 10, the one who enters in through the sheepfold. What is the sheepfold? Entrance. What is the door into the sheepfold? Born on this earth. And that's why Matthew starts out with the genealogy, the begats, so that we can see that Jesus legally has a right to be in that body. He did not illegally come and just appear as a man pretending to be a man. He legally became a man authorizing him as the last Adam. And so when it says he did have all of those attributes that make God God, he did not think it was something that he had to hold on to. He did not think this equality with God, this omniscience, this omnipresence, this omnipotence was something that he couldn't let go of to come as a man. That's what Hebrews speaks of when it says, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That word behooved means it it was pleasing to him. It was something he embraced. He said, I will gladly be your brother. I will gladly come as a man. I will gladly take on the human form and become legally a human to redeem you. It's not something that he saw as beneath himself. I'm God, I can't become a man. He didn't say that. He didn't think that. That wasn't anywhere on his perception radar. When he looked, he said, I will gladly do it. Here I am, Lord, send me in the volume of the book. I come to do your will, O God. He says this was something pleasing to him, something he embraced, something he was willing to do. So he came as a man. It says in the next verse, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death obedient to God to the point of death obedient to the plan to the point of death obedient to God's will to the point of death even the death of the cross wherefore or because of that because of that obedience by one man's disobedience all humanity fell but by one man's obedience By this obedience, God has highly exalted him. By one man's obedience, Jesus' obedience. He had to become a man and obey God as a man. He had to become a man and shed blood as a man. Willingly give his blood. Willingly lay down his life. And in that obedience, God exalted him and has given him a name, which is a title. It's not a a name that is for communication purposes or introduction purposes. It's a name that is a title, a position. He has given him a position. So Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, before he came as a man, he entered in this earth, obeyed God, fulfilled the plan of God of redemption, and God gave him a different position than he had before he entered into that body and became a man. He was the second person of the Godhead, and he had the glory of God. But when he entered into that body and became a man, now there's a man in the Godhead. That's what Timothy says. It says uh, one man, our mediator, the man our mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. There's a man in the Godhead who holds a position that he did not hold before. He came as a man and obeyed God in fulfilling the plan of redemption. Praise God. He didn't need a better position. He didn't need a different position, but we needed him to have it. We needed Someone who could represent us in that position. And Jesus is that one who has completely fulfilled the plan of God and the purpose of God for our redemption and now holds the title, holds a position of all authority. Hallelujah. And because he's now in that position, he has had to position us to represent him here on the earth because he had to go take his place at the right hand of the Father so that we could take our place as His representatives on the earth. Hallelujah. So until I understood that, I always looked at what Jesus did as what Jesus could do. I never looked at what Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as something that was available for me to lay hands on the sick or for me to uh, cast out devils or for me... to to operate in the authority of Jesus' name. I just saw that was Jesus and that was the disciples. But if we we allow that perception, we take ourselves out of the plan of God. The plan of God involves you. The plan of God involves me. We have our part to play in the plan of God. We have people to influence in the plan of God. We have a light to shine in our family, in our community, in our places and spheres of influence. We need to know who we are. As we know who He is, we'll understand more clearly who we are. And if we know how He did the greater works, we can know how we're supposed to do the greater works. Everything Jesus did in His earthly walk before the cross... From, from the time that he stepped into ministry and fulfilled that three and a half years of ministry, he did that as an example. He set a pattern. He gave us a model to follow. Praise God. So when we read the Gospels, you know what it made me do? Pastor Ron, it made me read the Bible different. When I started reading the Gospels, you know, I used to identify with Peter. I used to identify, you know, Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. And so, you know, there was a lot of times I felt like I'm just like Peter. I kept my, putting my foot in my mouth and saying things I ought not say and speaking out of turn. And so I would identify with the, the people in the boat. I would identify with, with Peter, you know, uh, start, beginning to sink. I, I was always identifying with those people. But after I began to see this, I thought, I don't look like them. I, in my position right now in Christ, I am not built like Peter was before the cross. The way, the condition Peter was in before the cross is not the same condition I am in today in Christ. And so I had to start reading the Bible and seeing Jesus as the one I identified with because I look like He looked. I have the light of God on the inside of me. I have the life of the Father on the inside of me like He did. I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life like He did. I have all of the equipment Jesus had when He walked on the earth and, and, and And? I have the name that was given to Him after He was operating in the first Adam's authority as a, a man anointed by God. Is that what they, they came to Him and they said, by what authority do you do these things? And he said, I'll ask you a question, and if you can answer my question, I'll answer yours. By what authority did John the Baptist baptize? And they got all in conflict and decided they couldn't answer because it was gonna, uh, if they answered one way, it would make the people mad, and if they answered one way, it would be saying he was right, and so they just left it alone. But the answer was in the question, by what authority did John the Baptist baptize? It was the authority of God, but he was a man. And that's why Jesus said, it's necessary that you baptize me. You you must baptize me because you are the man sent by God and I need a man on the earth to give a a, a, a legal uh, um, uh, authorization for my answering this call. So he was a man sent by God. A man chosen by God, but he was a man. So it was God's authority and man's authority operating together. Hallelujah. And so when we began to see that Jesus, as our model, the way he did the works is the same pattern by which I will do the works, the same pattern by which you will do the works. And you are not obligated to have to be in full-time ministry to do the works of Christ. You are not obligated to be answering a five-fold ministry call to do the works of Christ. Every believer can do the greater works. He said, he that believes on me. But we've got to do it the same way Jesus did it. We've got to follow his pattern. We've got to let his model be the model we follow. So how did Jesus do the greater works? Let's look at Luke chapter 3. How did Jesus do? And when I answer this, I'm going to know how I will do the greater works. Luke chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. Let me define this phrase the heaven was opened because it is it is too easy for the mind to think the clouds parted it did not say that the clouds parted and the sun came out it said the heavens opened so this is not a sudden moving of the clouds and revealing the sun it said the heavens opened the heavens opened The atmosphere above the earth opened. Hallelujah. The heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape. Stop before your mind goes back to that natural Hollywood kind of picture because the Holy Spirit is not a dove. Like a dove describes how he descended, but the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit Himself, God opened up the heavens, parted the atmosphere, and the Holy Spirit entered and descended in a bodily shape upon Jesus. He descended gently, he descended softly, he descended and, 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 and landed upon Jesus, you might say. When we begin to see Scripture talk about how the Holy Spirit comes upon people, it says He falls upon them. It said the Holy Spirit fell when, when Peter was preaching in Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. They got filled with the Holy Spirit in the sermon. Nobody laid hands on them. They were so hungry and open. They were ready. and The Holy Spirit just fell upon them. He descended in a bodily shape. He is the third person of the Godhead. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit descended, descended upon him. And Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, he told his disciples, do I have any disciples of Christ here in the house tonight? When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon, 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 upon. When you see the the Scripture identify how the Holy Spirit interacts with people, you'll find that upon is a word that is used most often concerning the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He came upon them. And so the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my son, my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. So Jesus, Jesus the Son of God who came as a man and left the omniscience and left the omnipotence and left the omnipresence, He is stepping into ministry. He's been baptized in water legal, under the legal authority given by God to John the Baptist. And now the Holy Spirit comes upon him. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to come upon him, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit upon our lives? Well, was he already alive unto God? Yes, he was alive unto God from the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb. He was alive unto God. He was spiritually alive every moment of every day up until this point. So this is not the new birth. This is not him coming alive unto God. He's already alive unto God. He is the Word made flesh. He is alive unto God and at 12 years old he could understand scriptures that the the schooled, educated leaders in the church could not grasp, but they were so, so clear to him because he was alive unto God. Amen? Legally as a man. Not with any God advantages. Not with any, any angels uh, teaching him and schooling him. The Holy Spirit, the, the life on the inside of him schooled him. He saw himself in the Word. Yeah. He recognized when he would read the Word, it was life to him. It would speak to him. The Word would speak to him and lead him and guide him. Hallelujah. So he was already alive unto God, but now we see him equipped with the help of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Yes. Coming upon him. Let's look at Luke 4 in verse 1. It says, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So he is now full, full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, again, he was alive unto God. The, the Spirit was in him In his heart, like we have the Spirit in our heart today, he was alive unto God, but now it says, after having received the Holy Spirit coming upon him, he has a fullness, being full. It never refers to him as being full of the Holy Spirit before the Holy Spirit came upon him. Amen? Amen? And that's why when it calls uh, the fullness of the Spirit for us, the infilling of the Spirit for us, the baptism in the Holy Spirit for us, is the full measure of the interaction of the Holy Spirit that we can operate in. That we have Him in our heart to lead us and to help us develop and cultivate the character of God, the fruit of the Spirit, but we also have Him in His fullness as our equipper, as the the miracle worker. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost, that word is dunamis, and in the Strong's Concordance it says, you shall receive the miracle worker after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive the miracle worker. Jesus did no miracles before this point. There were no little turtles that got their shells healed. There were no little butterflies that got their wings miraculously put back on. There were no little caterpillars that he healed. There were no little birds that had broken wings that he healed. No, no, he did no miracles. And the evidence of that, it says, the beginning of miracles was when he turned the water into wine. This was the beginning, the Bible says. This was the beginning. This was the beginning. No miracles before this point. Why? Because the miracle worker had not been uh, come upon him. He's as a man, legally. Alive unto God, authorized as a a man alive unto God, and now he's anointed with the Holy Ghost. He has the Holy Spirit working upon him. Same verse, uh, same chapter. Let's look at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He went in led by the Spirit and He returned in the power of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit led Him through every temptation. The Holy Spirit was uh, uh, still operative. He returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place. He found the place. When he opened the book, he found the place. Where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now he's just preaching what has taken place in his life. The spirit of the Lord is upon, upon me. The spirit is upon me for these purposes, for this reason. He is equipped me, equipping me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it to the minister and he sat down. Now, he sat down because he's getting ready to preach. In this day and age, and, and, and I'm, I, this is up for consideration, in this day and age, I stand up and all y'all get to sit down. But in this day, the congregation was standing and Jesus was sitting as He preached. I think we should consider it. Anybody up for... Can we, can we have a vote? Would y'all like to stand for the whole service and I'll, I'll preach sitting down? Jesus sat down. He has read the Scripture for His sermon and now He's going to preach that sermon. It says, He began to say in verse 21... He began to say unto them, and in other words, that's how he started the sermon. He read the scripture and then he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he went on to preach how the spirit of the Lord has come upon him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Familiar scripture, but please turn to it. Look at it. Put, your, put, put it in your spirit. Not just roll it around in your mind. You need it in your spirit. Acts 10 verse 38 is part of the sermon that is being preached by Peter in Cornelius' house. So we know that this was sermon material in in Peter's life. And it says here as he is preaching he makes this declaration how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Why did it not say how God anointed His only begotten Son? How God anointed the second person of the Godhead. How God anointed the Word made flesh. How God anointed Jesus, the Son of God. It didn't say that. It identified His hometown, just like Paul of Tarsus. Why? Because He wanted it be emphasized God anointed a man with the Holy Ghost. Jesus, this does not in any way, hear me, hear me, this does not in any way detract from Jesus being 100% the Son of God. He is the perfect Son of God. He is the Son without fault, without blemish. He is the Son who completely fulfilled the, the, the plan of God. He is... The second person of the Godhead. This does not detract. Jesus said it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He did not consider it a step down to come into the human race to become our redeemer. He considered it an honor and a privilege because you're worthy to God. God looks at you and he has thoughts that are good with an end and an expectation. You are his children. As you receive Jesus, you are made the child of God. We are now the sons of God. God. It it is not a a blasphemy for me to say, I am a child of God. I am 100% human and 100% born of God. Jesus was 100% the son of God, the second person of the Godhead, yet he was 100% legally a man. And he would often emphasize, I am the son of man. He more often referred to himself as the son of man than he referred to himself as the son of God because he wanted us to know, I'm legally here. Jesus of Nazareth, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, a legal man in the earth. God anointed a man. God's anointed some other men and women I see in here tonight. God has anointed men and women with the Holy Ghost and with power That's it. who go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God is with me in the anointing. I've been anointed with the miracle worker. The miracle worker is upon me. God is with me by the Holy Spirit. He's with me and He's working with me. Hallelujah. 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 How God anointed. How God anointed. How God anointed. Tabitha, how God, God anointed Gloria, how God anointed James, how God anointed Andre, how God anointed you with the Holy Ghost and with power. So that you can go about doing good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 28. We see Jesus delegating this power to us in verse 18. A statement that was made after His resurrection and before His ascension. And without this statement, the disciples did not understand. They did not have all of the insight we have because of the Scripture to know what had taken place in the crucifixion, the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. They did not understand the the legality of the redemption that had been established. They did not understand how that Satan had been defeated and how Jesus had triumphed over him openly, making a show of him. They did not understand how Jesus had defeated death how he had taken the keys of death, hell, and the grave. They did not understand that. They did not understand how God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. They did not understand that. So Jesus is making a declaration so that they know where this delegation's coming from. He's about to delegate something to them and they need to know what's back behind that delegation, what's standing behind what he's about to say. He says, all power is given unto me. And this word power is the word exousia. It is not the word dunamis. We just talked about dunamis. He said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive dunamis power. Dunamis, dynamite power, miracle working power, the worker of miracles after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But this power is different. This is a different word in the original language and it means authority, right to control or govern, an area or sphere of jurisdiction, he says, all jurisdiction is given unto me. All authority is given unto me. All dominion is given unto me. So this authority that has been given unto him in the name that God gave him, this title, this position is the position that the title, the, the uh, legal the, the legal. Uh, office where all authority reigns and Jesus is now the head in that office and he said all authority all dominion all jurisdiction is given unto me and now I'm going to delegate to you I'm going to delegate to you you go therefore therefore is because all authority is given unto me I am now authorizing you here's your deputy badge Here's your deputy batch. I'm giving you authority in my name. And so he says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. I am with you. How is he with us? By his Spirit. By his Spirit. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Hallelujah. Luke 10, 19. This is just my foundation, y'all. If we get past the foundation, if not, I get to come back and preach again. That's the great thing about being a pastor, I can come back. Luke 10, verse 19. This is before the delegated authority but this is a form of delegate. This is Jesus delegating the first authority that he was operating in as a man alive unto God and anointed by the Spirit of God. Okay? So this is before the name has been given to him. But even before the name had been given to him, he said to his disciples, Behold, I give unto you authority, power. This is again exousia, not dunamis, exousia authority, right to control or govern, jurisdiction, dominion. I give you dominion to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, that's dunamis, over all the dunamis of the enemy. Did the Egyptians throw down their rods and they became snakes? Did the Egyptians operate in black magic? Did they have some some demonic power? Well, he said, I give you authority over any demonic power. You can say, stop it. You're not operating here. And it has to stop. You have dominion over any kind of activity the demons, the devil can try to operate in a situation. In your life, in the life of of others where you have influence over all the dunamis of the enemy... And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Hallelujah. Why? Because I'm delegating this authority. Hallelujah. So if this authority operated, and we know it did, they came back and they were so amazed that even the demons obey us, that you're at at the name. They, they had a delegated authority at that level, but we have a delegated full authority in the risen Savior, the seated Savior. You could say seated at the right hand of God. Praise God. And then finally for our foundation is Mark 16, which is also considered the Great Commission. Mark 16, and let's look at verse 15. Hallelujah. temoko. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, for Jesus to preach the gospel, what did God do to equip Jesus to preach the gospel? He sent the Holy Spirit to come upon him. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. Amen? So he's now telling us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to anoint him to preach, how much more do we need? The Holy Spirit. We're following his model. We're following his example. We need the Holy Spirit anointing us to preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be condemned, and these signs shall follow them that believe. These signs, these signs, these signs shall follow. It didn't say those who are pastors, those who are evangelists. It it didn't say those who are in full-time ministry, those who have a position in the church. No, these signs shall follow them that believe. Those that believe. In my name, in my name, in my name, in, 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 um, in the mall, if, if I were to say in the mall, you can find Dillard's, you can find uh, um, Supercuts, you can find uh, uh, a shoe store in the mall. I'm telling you things that you can locate in the mall, Right? Those, those are all there in the mall. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We're doing all of those things in the name. Because in the name is the delegation. The name delegates the authority to do those things. I have the right to do those. I have the authority. I have the badge. Here's my deputy badge. What is that? Read it. In the, name. In the name. In the name of Jesus, I can drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt me. In the name of Jesus, I can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In the name of Jesus, I will cast out devils. In the name. So that's the delegation and the signs are all supernatural. When it says, they shall speak with new tongues, that's supernatural. That's not me just by the help of the Holy Spirit knowing how to speak a foreign language. This is talking about speaking in tongues by the help of the Holy Spirit. These are all supernatural. Casting out devils, speaking with tongues, taking up serpents. with No snake handling in the church. That's not what it means. Fear thou not, we shall not pull out any rattlesnakes and pass them around. But if I encounter adversity, spiritual or natural, it will not hurt me. Hallelujah. If I encounter whether it's demonic or natural, it will not hurt me. Why? Because I'm coming in the name. name. I'm, I'm operating in the name. I'm moving in the name. I'm dealing with it in the name. And in the name, I'm equipped with the supernatural anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got the, I've got the exousia and I've got the dunamis. I've got the, I've got the dominion and I've got the miracle working power. That's how Jesus did what he did and that's how we do what we do for him in his name. In his name, we, we operate in the delegated authority and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did what he did because he was a man unto, alive unto God and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I don't mean to say that Jesus spoke in tongues. We don't know. It doesn't say he didn't. It doesn't say he does. I am of the teaching that says the tongues and interpretation of tongues is for this day and age, for this church age. And it is a mark of the local church. It is a mark of the Spirit-filled church. And we should have tongues and interpretation of tongues in the church. Not just in the pulpit in the church. In the church. In the church. But if you're not speaking in tongues at home, He's probably not going to use you too much when you get gathered in the congregation. Amen. The more you speak in tongues at home, the, it's the door to the supernatural. You enter in and you're equipped. Hallelujah. That was extra. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we know that how Jesus did the works that He did. It was by the miracle worker who had come upon Him and by Him being sent by the Father. We are sent by Jesus and He instructed us to wait for the promise of the Father. We don't have to wait anymore because the promise of the Father was released upon the church in the day of Pentecost, so we don't wait. But He told His disciples, you will need the equipping of the Holy Spirit and when you receive Him, power will come upon you and you'll be a witness unto me because of that power and not just a witness in the preaching but the signs that will follow the preaching the confirming of the word that follows the preaching is the holy spirit he is the confirmer of the word the lord working with and confirming the word they preached with signs following hallelujah god never intended for his gospel to be preached in word only he wants the gospel to be preached and the signs to follow and confirm that He is a miraculous sign uh, 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 and, and miracle-working God, that He can do things that are supernatural in our lives and it's His desire to do so. But again, it helps us to understand how, these, how the Holy Spirit operates. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we know the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians especially, is correcting some areas in the Corinthian church where they had gotten into excess in some things. They had gotten a little bit over in a ditch. And so the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is helping bring them middle of the road and we know that one of the things that the Corinthian church did have was a lot of the operation of the gifts. And so 1 Corinthians 12, he is dealing with the gifts. Chapter 13, he deals with walking in love, which should be the motive of the gifts. Evidently, it was not in the local church in Corinth because they were carnal, chapter 3, right? Right? acting like mere unchanged men. They had envy and strife and division, right? So they had some issues, but they were eager and open for the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so eager and open that sometimes they bypassed the Word and the preaching of the Word just to have have times of of, uh, everybody wanting to move in the Spirit. And so he's bringing correction. And we can learn a lot from this correction. We can learn how the Holy Spirit is to operate and maintain a um, balance. What's going to bring balance for the moving of the Holy Spirit is the knowledge of the Word. The The moving of the Holy Spirit never offends people. The Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of the harvest. He is not going to damage the harvest. People's flesh might be, be offended, but he's not going to run off the unsaved. He's not going to... His, his moving and his, his supernatural activity is not going to make people think... Uh, it, 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 he, we need him more than, than we know. The, the moving of the Holy Spirit is beneficial to the local church. It says here in this verse 7, for instance, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. There's profit in the manifestation of the Spirit of God. There's profit for our lives. There's profit for our lives. There's benefits for our lives as He manifests in our services. So we want balance. We want balance. We want him to have liberty and freedom to move, and we want to know how to move with him. Brother Kenneth Hagan made this statement. He said, the, the sign or the mark of a strong local church is one who knows how to move with the Holy Spirit. A, a local church that knows how to move and flow with the Holy Spirit, to know when it's time for a teaching. And let the Holy Spirit feed us with teaching. To know when it's time to run and shout and dance. And for us to enjoy that, that, that dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit. But not to come in and try to force Him to make us dance and run and shout every time. I'm open for whatever He has. You want to sit down and teach me? I'm open for teaching. You want me to jump and run? I'll jump and run. Whatever is, is on the slate of the Spirit of God. Whatever's on His agenda... That's what we want, because there's profit in the manifestation of the Spirit. So let's read verse one first of all. Now concerning spiritual, brethren, gifts is in italics. It doesn't hurt, but sometimes it helps to go ahead and leave it out. It doesn't hurt to leave it in. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant, but, but let's just go ahead and pull it out for a minute. Concerning spiritual the flows of the Spirit, the moving of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit, as verse 7 says. I don't want you lacking knowledge. I don't want you in the dark. I don't want you clueless about the moving of the Spirit. I want you to be um, aware and, and uh, skilled. It's possible for us to be skilled in how the Holy Spirit operates. Amen? Amen? And the more we interact with the teacher, the more we're going to learn. He's our teacher, and He'll show us. He'll teach us. Praise God. But He doesn't want us ignorant. He doesn't want us lacking knowledge concerning His moving and His his manifestations. Now go ahead to verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man, to every man, to every man, verse 1 says, was brethren. So not every man unsaved and saved we're talking to the brethren we're talking to the saved we're talking to the saved so every born again person the manifestation of the spirit is available for you to have something to profit with all the manifestation of the spirit is given to every believer that doesn't mean every believer has yielded to the manifestation of the spirit That doesn't mean every believer has participated in the manifestation of the Spirit. But He's willing to use whosoever will yield themselves and cooperate and participate and learn from Him. Notice it is the manifestation of the Spirit. Verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one working the word of wisdom, working the word of knowledge, Working the gifts of healings. It's, we're not the worker of it. We've received the worker of miracles when the Holy Ghost came upon us. Amen? All these are worked by Him. He's the worker of miracles. He's the one carrying the anointing into our lives. So if we're anointed, it's because He's anointing us. He is the oil of the anointing that God has anointed us with. The, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the anointing of God upon our life. Praise God. So it says here, all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man. Now he says, severally. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're not just limited to, to one. He says he will use us in several. But it's not by your design. It's not by my design. I can't pull out my little list and say now, now Lord, I'm into that word of wisdom thing. Give me that one. And I like the gifts of healings, but don't even bring that discerning of spirits to me. I don't want that one. I don't want I no, I don't get to choose and to pick and to deny and to accept. I, it's as he wills, as he wills. So my part is to learn to flow with and yield to and respond to the Holy Spirit as he wills. Yeah. Praise God. So if we were going to categorize this, I love the, the teaching that Brother Hagen provides uh, and actually he received a lot of that structure of his teaching from Howard Carter, uh, who was a teacher before him on this subject, but he categorized them by how they work. And I want to give those to you, and then we're going to have to probably bring it to a close. It is my desire to go through each one of these individually, showing us the scripture where they, different examples from the scripture where they were operating, where the Holy Spirit operated these gifts in the Bible, give us a, de- a, a definition that's accurate, praise God, and so that we can identify how the Holy Spirit moves and be uh, aware and not lacking knowledge concerning His manifestations. So there are nine total, nine gifts listed here. It's interesting that the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, there's nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that is a result of the the indwelling of the Spirit of God in our heart when we're born again. And now here with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there are nine gifts. Not all nine are going to operate in any individual's life. I've had different people over the years that, that would come up to me and say, I've got all nine gifts operating. And I'm thinking, you don't know your Bible. Severally. It didn't say all. Jesus is the only one who operated in the fullness. It says, unto him the, the, it was given the fullness of the Spirit. And yet... We don't see tongues and interpretation operating in Jesus' ministry. Every other one of these gifts did. And that's the indication that we derive that tongues and interpretation began with the church age or the inception of the church. And, tongues, and so, so Jesus is the one who has operated in all of the other seven. But the Holy Spirit delegates as the body of Christ to us severally as He wills. Let's talk about the different purposes. The first of all, we see there are three gifts that reveal something. We would call these the revelation gifts. Three revelation gifts. They are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. They reveal something supernaturally, in a supernatural way. They reveal something that cannot be accessed or known or seen naturally. There are three power gifts. These are spiritual gifts that do something. The gift of faith works miracles and the working of faith works miracles. The gift of faith does something. The working of miracles and then the gifts of healings. Those are the three power gifts. The gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings. They all accomplish or do something. They're supernatural. So this is not faith that comes by hearing and hearing the Word. This is a a working of a supernatural gift of the manifestation of the Spirit of God that provides a, a faith to work a miracle. Three utterance or inspirational gifts. Three utterance gifts. They are gifts that say something. They are prophecy, diverse or different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Prophecy, diverse or different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. They say something. Hallelujah. All of these are worked by the Spirit of God. They are His gifts. They're not our gifts. They're not ours to operate on our timetable, time on our choosing, on our will. We can't make them work That's why there have been many uh, ministers who had a ministry of healing, gifts of healings that would operate in their ministry and they could see supernatural miracles. And yet when it came to them receiving the healing in their body, they could not use that gift at their will. They had to use their faith for their healing. Amen? Because we can't turn them on and off. They're not our gifts. We're not the ones working them. The Holy Spirit is the one who is the miracle worker. We are participating with Him and He's working them through. We're His instrument. We're His instrument. We we are cooperating with Him, letting our, our legal authority as a human on this earth, our delegated authority in the name of Jesus, Remember the pattern. It's not just because I'm a human. It's because I am a human who is born of God and anointed by the Holy Ghost. That's the pattern that positions me for the greater works. In other words, the Holy Spirit needs someone who has legal authority to be here on the earth. If you've got a birth certificate and you're saved you're a candidate if you got a spiritual birth certificate and a natural birth certificate you're a candidate for the Holy Spirit to come upon you baptize you with his power and use you to do the greater works for Jesus so he's limited in what he can do without the church I know that goes crosswise against natural thinking. You think God can do anything he wants to do. Mm -hmm. According to scripture, he he has set his own boundaries when he delegated authority to man. When he gave man dominion on the earth, God put himself in a position that unless he has a man to cooperate with him, He's limited in what he can do. So, in the church, in the earth today, the church is the change agent of God. The people in the church, not, not, not the church, the organization, not the church, the, the, the building, or not the church, uh, the, the leaders. I'm talking about the people, the believers. The believers are the body of Christ. We are the church of the Lord Jesus. We are the ones, we are the only ones. And and hear me, Pastor Caldwell said this last Sunday night. He said, not very many churches would allow how the Holy Spirit moved here to operate in their their churches. You know why? Because there's a lot of churches who aren't filled with the Spirit. And so they can't do greater works without the worker of the greater works. Do you see why we've got to emphasize and and become skilled in following Him? We've got to yield ourselves to His plan because there are even among those who are saved, among those who are living for God, living holy lives, among that group, It goes down in number when you look for those who are yielded to the Holy Spirit for the operation of His manifestations. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're yielded. Praise God. We're equipped. Hallelujah. 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 I want to say this again. The more you interact with Him in your personal time, yielding to Him to let Him pray through you in tongues, you choosing on purpose to pray in tongues, purposefully saying, I'm going to pray in tongues. It doesn't have to be based on how many minutes have clicked on the clock but you pray until you sense a release in your spirit, until you recognize that, there, that you have, have, have accomplished what was burdening your heart maybe, or until you sense that note of joy, that note of victory. You're looking for spiritual indications that I've moved something as I've prayed. You're looking for spiritual impulses or spiritual promptings but I don't wait for a prompting to pray. I don't have to wait until He comes so strongly upon me that I realize, okay, He wants me to pray in tongues. Sometimes we pray in tongues when we don't feel anything spiritual. But that's, that's what's going to cause us to tap into and open the door yeah. to the spiritual flow, is choosing on purpose to speak in tongues, to pray in tongues. And and here's why we do it. Here's why. Because he said when we pray in tongues that we're praying the perfect will of God. We're praying mysteries unto God. We're speaking to God. 1 Corinthians 14 says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh unto God. You cannot use tongues to talk to the devil. If you're trying to cast out a devil, you better use English because he doesn't understand tongues. We're not instructed to use tongues to deal with the devil. We use the name of Jesus. He understands that name and trembles at it. So don't use tongues to try to, to drive off an uh, uh, enemy attack against your life. Open up your mouth, pull out the sword of the Spirit, and say, you listen to me in the name of Jesus. I'm the head and not the tail above and not beneath. I take authority over this lack. You get out of my house. You get out of my finances in Jesus' name. I'm blessed. I've given and it's given unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. You've got to use specific words against an enemy attack. But when you're speaking unto God, you know in the, um, I believe it was the Second World War that they had the Navajo Indians. Was it the Second World War? Navajo Indians, code, code talkers. And what happened was every time that they would try to set a code to send messages to each other about their battle plans, the enemy forces always deciphered their codes and could break their codes and it ruined a lot of battles. So they discovered that the Navajo Indians had a language that was so difficult to decipher that the enemy could not figure out what they were saying. So they had Navajo Indians on each of the radios giving the the instructions of where to send the airstrike or where to have the battleships and the, the Japanese, the enemy forces could not figure out what are they saying. That's what happens when we're praying in tongues. The enemy's like, what is she saying? What is she saying? Look at all that joy coming up on her face. What's all all that about? I'm throwing all this kind of difficulty against them. I'm throwing all of this hardship. And they start speaking in tongues and their their face lights up and they get all joyful and they begin to shout victory. And and he has no clue. He has no clue. Why? Because we're speaking mysteries unto God. But we're speaking unto God. And we're praying the perfect will in that situation. And we're also opening a door to the supernatural in our life. Praise God. So we're going to continue on this. Did you get a lot out of that tonight? Praise God. One of my favorite things to share. So I'm, I'm thankful for that you were so open to receive tonight. We're going to do the greater works. We're equipped. We're equipped. Stand with me to your feet if you would please. Praise